I'm Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. He's Charlie Wilmoth. I'm David Todd. Uh, Charlie, 19 and 22, an interesting three-game series with Detroit, uh, the interleague series. Pirates come back home tonight and open a three-game set with the Mets. We've got a special guest with us to preview the Mets. That's right. We've got Eno Saris. He is a writer for Amazing Avenue, which is SB Nation's Mets blog, as well as Fangraphs and Roto World. Welcome, Eno. Thanks for having me on, guys. You know, uh, what can you? One player the the Pirates fans might be interested in on the Mets is is Ike Davis, who we were the Pir- a lot of Pirates fans were interested in acquiring this off season. He's about the one uh, Mets hitter who hasn't been very good this year. What's been the story with him? I think it's just strikeouts. One thing that I love Ike Davis, but I don't really love his swing. You know, he's got this crazy hitch in it. Um, there's a lot of movement. And, you know, there was a slight predilection towards strikeouts before um, this year, but he's just kind of exacerbated all those. He's, he's, he's really striking out too much. He's got an above-average swinging strike rate, so it's, it's, it's a real thing. It's a whiff contact problem he's having. I do think that he can, you know, turn around and get back to uh, career levels, but I, I'm not so sure that he's a 300 hitter, and he's not going to have huge power. So I think he's kind of a glove, glove and patience first baseman. You know, just just kind of bigger picture stuff. When I step back and look at the Mets, 22 and 19 here in third place in the American League East, uh, in the National League East. I think a lot of people's expectations were that this team wouldn't do nearly as well, and their Pythagorean record is 17 and 24. There's a lot going on there. What you want to just give us a recap of what's behind that? I just keep going back to. The, the character of the team, as I saw it going into the season, was that we'd have a pretty good lineup with some young players providing pretty you know, decent depth, except for um, our pitching, that our pitching was, was shallow. It looked okay at the very top three, but it was shallow. I think that's still the, the character of this team, that it's actually, despite all the different ways that you can look at the record, that it's actually about as good as its record. The longer term, like if you're sitting here at this point in the season, I know kind of at the beginning of the season, I I said the Pirates would win 69 games. They're 19 and 23 playing better than expected, but I feel like 69 games is where they're going to be. Is it where where do you see this team versus what you thought it was going to be at the end of the season? I think that's like I said, I think there's they sort of are playing to their talent level. What surprises me is the rest of the division, I guess. Um, so I kind of figured they'd be around 500, but I thought the rest of the division would be better. Yeah, it's a little bit topsy-turvy, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess, you know, there's some things we should have been able to see, like the Phillies lineup has been getting older and, and, you know, sort of secretly bad for a while. Um, Yes, not not so secretly, yeah. Maybe not so secretly bad. (laughs) Um, You know, the Nationals, I guess we could see that there was a convergence of young talent sort of coming um, and they, they built a nice rotation in the meantime. I just don't see that. I, I, I guess it's the, the division looks more winnable, so it's a little bit attractive to say, hey, maybe we should get a piece. You know, maybe if we just got a pitcher or something, that would be great. But uh, I don't think that's necessarily in Sandy's um, tool bag right now. And I think that they're probably best served to en- enjoy the increased attendance and 
the uh, the good feeling that they're you know incurring right now and just sort of stay stay with the the plan the long term plan. That's a narrative that a lot of uh, a lot of pirates fans would do well to take heed of right now as well. I think um, you know. Could you talk about uh, Jason Bay? He's, uh, you know, our, our old friend from Pittsburgh. He's uh, off to a maybe a, a better start than we might have expected based on his past couple of seasons. Not that he's not that he's up back up to you know 2006 levels or something like that, but but he's back to being what seems to be a productive player now. Yeah, um, it's really interesting. I, I did a like a almost like a career retrospective on Jason Bay for the. Um, for Amazing Avenue recently that I actually think that some of your readers might find interesting because, you know, he's one of these guys that I, I asked a b- bunch of people, name me a good Jason Bay story. And uh, <laughs> there weren't any. <laughs> and it wasn't that he's not a good player. It's just that he's a very sort of mellow guy. And, and I just don't think that he's that kind of guy that gives you a ton of stories. He, there was a couple heartwarming little vignettes about what it was like when the all-star game was in Pittsburgh. I don't know. Do you guys have like sort of personal feelings about Jason? No, that, that's funny. I was going to say, you know, he's Canadian. He was always known as being kind of a, a, a quiet guy, a, a, a good person, but yeah, you didn't hear a lot of, you know, humorous stories around him. So, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about things and, and I, I, I don't have anything. <laughs> I had that Homer this uh, home run derby. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Home, not, not, home run derby. Uh, you know, stealing 22 bases in a row one season and and uh, just missing a record kind of late in the season because he got caught. Uh, I mean, those are like career things that I remember about Jason Bay. But like, like uh, personal stories or having a sense of kind of Bay's character. Charlie, you yeah, anything? Not really. I mean, just generally the thing that sticks to me with Bay is that he's he's just like. Brian Giles, who he really replaced in the Pirates lineup, where <laughs> there would be terrible things happening just all around the lineup for years. But you knew that every time Jason Bay came up, you could kind of breathe a sigh of relief. So I guess that that's the emotional level he strikes me on, but but nothing nothing really personal, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, in the process of researching that, I, I discovered that uh, Bay's been a, a fly ball hitter his whole career. Uh, which makes sense because he's been a slugger. Mm-hmm. Um, he got to City Field, and I think that it just kind of blew him out of the water the first year. And he hasn't had uh, he's ha- hasn't hit more fly balls than ground balls since his first year in City Field. So I don't know if he's just sort of trying to go back to his line drive roots or just trying to find a way to make it work but or, for some or reason no knowing that he's not going to hit it out it you know 400 400 feet in the left center and up, up until this year maybe i you know i guess so you know you and that but i guess maybe it's one of those things you can't turn around so quickly and you're like oh the fences are in i guess i'll start hitting more fly balls so it's it's a it's something that's held steady this year that he did last year and it killed his power last year but somehow he's still managing to muscle it out a little bit better this year but you know, one of the things you got to be really careful about power in short samples. The power, mm-hmm. you know, you have a two home run game, and all of a sudden you, even at this point in the season, you can make your stats look much better. I mean, I joked the other weekend that uh, somebody was asking me about Jose Bautista and his home run for a fly ball rate, and I said, "Yeah, it's a pretty steady. What if he hits three home runs this weekend? What did it look like then?" And he hit three home runs that weekend, and <laughs> now his home run for fly ball is pretty steady. So. Uh, I would look at the fact that his batted ball distance and 
has been going down the last three years, and he's been hitting more ground balls. So I think he's sort of, I think he's en- entering or in steadily, you know, declining. He's in the decline. No question that contract, uh, you know, I know most people I talked to immediately thought that was a ridiculous contract. I spent a lot of time in New York. And in fact, I'm in New York right now, and I know most Met fans that I speak to would, you know, much prefer he not be part of the lineup. Yeah, well, I guess uh, Kirk Kirk Newenhouse is, uh, you know, Captain Kirk has grabbed uh, grabbed the attention of everybody in New York, and it, you know, you remember how Ike Davis did the same when he came up, and it was we like Ike and all the T-shirts and stuff. So now there's Captain Kirk shirts. I saw a funny one where it was Newenhouse spelled wrong three different ways, scratched out, and at the bottom it said, you know, it said Kirk. <laughs> I think that's maybe that's the key to succeeding in New York. Just give your give if you want your kid to be a baseball player, just give him a, a marketable name. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, as as I probably you can tell, I am not as so much on the bandwagon. He's a bit of a platoon guy, kind of got a strikeout problem, uh, kind of a tweener on defense. So I think that there could be a platoon there. Definitely, uh, Kirk isn't that great against lefties, and Bay's still you know over his career been good against lefties. I think that would be a sad, sad day for Jason. So I think that they'll do it kind of slowly. Tell us about the the pitchers we're going to see this weekend. Santana seems to be maybe almost back to his old self. Uh, R.A. Dickey goes, and then Nice, I, guess, I think, goes Wednesday afternoon. Could just give us a little recap on those three guys. Well, uh, for us, we're lucky that those are the three that are going because those are our three major league pitchers. <laughs> um, I... I <laughs> I guess I'm kind of mean to G. G's pretty good. G's a, you know, can be a, a number five for anyone, I guess. Uh, but we're really having trouble, you know, with that other spot now. Santana didn't get his velocity all the way back up, but I guess it's one of those things where the changeup is so great that he's just going to keep throwing that changeup until, you know, he's done. Kind of like Mar- Mariano was, was fine with reduced velocity because he had that great cutter, so... I guess there's some cases where you have like this legitimate, awesome Hall of Fame pitch, and uh, you know the rest of your stuff can fall apart if you still have that one pitch. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of how I see Santana. I think there could be an injury coming, but you know I'm happy to see him do this, and he's the best uh, pitcher. He's the best pitcher to ever have anterior capsule surgery, and he's recovering better than anyone. So I guess he's actually provides hope to a lot of pitchers that face that injury. Um, Dickey is just amazing. I love watching him pitch. Just if you're watching him, just watch for the three. He has, sometimes has three knuckleballs. He has two. Everyone knows about, but there's a, a super slow mo, a slow mo, and then a fast uh, knuckler that everyone knows about. So yep. uh, just watch the radar gun and watch it dance. And hopefully it's dance. I mean, for you guys, hopefully it's not dancing. But you know, if it is dancing, just really enjoy it because there's no one who's ever thrown three knuckleballs like him. I don't think. And then Nice uh, is an interesting guy because he's got a big curveball, but it doesn't get a lot of whiffs. And he's actually more about his cutter than anything. So he's going to be, when he's on, he's going to limit the walks and get ground balls with the cutter. And uh, kind of maybe infuriating a little bit in terms of watching him and not not seeing what the stuff necessarily is except for that curveball. So, uh, But I do like him. I think, he's, I think they're all three good pitchers and... In any other year, they could be the formation of a, of a good rotation. 
You know, um, I know you haven't had a lot of time to maybe evaluate this, but you could give us your basic impressions of, of Ronnie Cedeno. This is a player who was not well regarded by Pirates fans at all. And sure enough, the Pirates get rid of him. And now, it, not that it means much, but he would be their second best hitter probably on their team if he was still on the team. <laughs> what, what do you think of him so far? Well, uh, for the record, this would be our second not well regarded Ronnie that we've picked up in the Mets, for the Mets, right? From the Pirates, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who was a Pirate, anyway. It was at one point a Pirate. Uh, you, the, I, I was trying to figure out. There was some nickname that y'all had for Ronnie Paulino. Jogging Ronnie. Jogging, Jogging Ronnie. Ronnie, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You put that on a T-shirt. You didn't inspire as much um, agony in New York, but uh, we I guess we didn't have to watch him start. Right. Uh, but uh, Cedeno, I guess we were hoping we didn't have to watch him start. Um, and I think everybody wants to hot a back. I think that there's a big difference with just expectations and roles on a team that, you know, if we brought in Cedeno to be the starting shortstop and that's how it was sold to us and he was who he is, even with an okay beginning, you know, once he went a little bit south, I'm sure people would be like, oh, God. It's just like Omar all over again. I can't believe this guy. Is this just another Cora? Who the hell is this? And um, you know, that instead he's brought to be in, a, brought to be uh, a backup. He costs less than um, our last Cora, and um, he was on a, a shorter contract. So we were all like, okay, whatever. Bring in a guy for a million bucks. Who do we care? So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, he hasn't made us angry yet. <laughs> so we step back. David Wright's having a phenomenal year, obviously seemingly fully recovered from the injuries that he's had. You look at this team, and I guess this is the disappointing thing for Pirate fans right now. You do look at the lineup, and there are young guys in the, in Tabata, in uh, Pedro Alvarez. Obviously, Andrew McCutcheon's our David Wright. So you have some young guys that hypothetically you could build around, but we have a lot of guys who are in their late 20s or in the 30s, in the case of Barmas and Barajas, who aren't going to be building blocks in the future. And we don't really have guys uh, like some of the young guys that you have up there, like Tejada, um, even you know Tolley and Ike Davis. Uh, and you've talked a little bit about the outfielders. Are these guys in the lineup today going to be the guys who are in the lineup for the Mets two to three years from now? Uh, I think that they've got a decision coming on Ike Davis versus Lucas Duda. And it might sort of rival the decision that the Pirates have with Pedro Alvarez at third and first and how he fits into the plans. Um, Because I think that, you know, it'll be hard for a team. The Mets' defense is pretty bad. And I joke that they have four first basemen out on the field. And um, I think that, you know, Wright's defense... It's gotten a little better this year, according to the metrics. I think that he's probably been a little bit better than the metrics before and is a little bit worse than they look now. Uh, I think you could maybe fake it with right at third. Lord knows the Braves did it with Chipper Jones for years. But uh, uh, have right and Duda. I mean, Davis and Duda out there is a little bit rough. And then Murphy at second. So I think those are three sort of first basemen. I think there's a trade coming there. And I don't know, I, I like just honestly don't know what's coming. So uh, I guess, you know, you could be jealous of us for having some pieces, but uh, they don't necessarily all fit together. So I think, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, Duda or, or Davis, at some point they're going to just have to have an internal discussion. What do we actually, like, how do we actually value this guy? What do, you know, how does our defense factor in are we going to put Duda at first and shop Ike they'd have to see something better out of Ike 
you know, they they probably need a good season from both before they'll uh, before they'll do the trade. But yeah, yeah, I think there's a trade coming. And I think everybody knows the financial situation. The Wilpons are in uh, the Madoff uh, connection. Uh, is this? Do you look at this? The, the kind of longer term horizon when you're writing about the Mets and say, look, this team's not going to be competitive for the next three to five years. It is a it's a it's not a gut renovation, but it's a rebuild process and they're not going to be able to go out and sign free agents like they have in the past. I mean, is there a little bit of a uh, depressed outlook here? I felt that way at times over the offseason, but just with the way things are going now with the with the Madoff case the major news that came basically where they, they basically settled with uh, Irvin Picard. I see light at the end of the tunnel for the Wilpons, which is sort of a curse and a blessing. I think a lot of Mets fans would tell you that they're kind of tired of the Wilpons as owners, and they'd be willing to go through a lot of pain in order to perhaps get a new set of owners. But, um, you know, the Wilpons did some good things for the Mets, and City Field is, is a beautiful field, and SNY puts the Mets you know, in the national conversation for best possible money-earning team, you know, uh, definitely in the top five or whatever. So they've done some smart things. And, you know, I think that a lot of times owners need to have a little bit of cash to put in, um, especially when you're talking about a trade deadline acquisition or something. But And they don't have that right now. But I don't see why this team can't cut down. And they're still over $100 million, I think. I don't see why this team can't cut down to $80, 90000000 million have a great farm system and be competitive year in, year out and win some years. Just like, you know, look at the Braves. They found a way to have a farm system and a $90 million team and win some years and, and not win others, you know. So I I think the worst of the pain might be over, you know. I think once the Jason Bay contract is gone, they might be able to sign someone. So if you were going to spotlight one guy for us to watch in this series, who would a guy who Pirate fans, you know, maybe don't know as much about, who would be a guy that you'd spotlight? Dickey on the pitching side, just watch him. Uh, that that'd be a lot of fun. And I just think watch Lucas Duda. I think it's a he's a really interesting player. Um, you know, I think the scouts that said anything about 35 home run power were a little bit crazy. He's a, a huge guy, which is probably why they said it. But he's just this huge guy with a kind of a line drive. You know, patience and not contact necessarily, but sort of he's a very interesting hitter. And then sort of laugh at him in the in the outfield a little bit. That'll make you feel better. <laughs> you know, that's some great perspective. Um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. I love talking baseball. That's Eno Saris. He writes for AmazingAvenue.com as well as Fangraphs.com and Roto World. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Bucks Dugout Podcast. Charlie Wilmoth and David Todd, uh, thanks to Eno Saris for, for being with us and giving us a little overview in the New York Mets. Charlie, as we said at the top of the show, the Pirates are back from a short road trip. They had three games they finished in Detroit. Justin Verlander showed why he was the American League, uh, not only Cy Young Award winner, but the MVP on Friday night. Pirates got a win on the back of Andrew McCutcheon on Saturday with two homers. And then they lost yesterday in a close game, 4-3, to three, a game which I characterized as being dominated. Some people took some exception to that because the score was 4-3. to three. Maybe I should have said the Pirates' batters were dominated. They scored three runs, two on solo homers, and one kind of a, uh, a meaningless run in the ninth inning. But I guess in a two-run game, no runs are meaningless. So 
this offensive struggle now has everybody in a full-blown panic. All the bloggers have written about it. Dan Kovacevic wrote about it in the Trib today, and you wrote about it. And we talked about your and my perspective uh, on our last podcast that there weren't a lot of internal solutions. What's this team supposed to do now? I don't know, and, and I think it, it does help to, to, to do what I talked about in, in my piece for SB Nation Pittsburgh today, which is to imagine that it's a 1922 team just as it is now, uh, but that the weaknesses of the team were a little bit differently distributed. So you have like a weakness in the rotation, and maybe you take uh, you know a good pitcher from rotation and subtract him and add a decent guy in the lineup. So now the the whole team are all around is mediocre and not just the pitching being pretty good and the and the the lineup being terrible and you can see that if if you just do that then there's no cause for panic the problem is that the the team's or the problem from the most fans perspective is that the team's weaknesses are so obvious right now but that doesn't mean it's going to be any easier to go out and and fix those weaknesses on the on the trading market right now because there just aren't a lot of trades made uh and because you know the Pirates are not in a position where they should be giving up a lot of their better prospects in order to get uh, in order to get a hitter. So at you know at, at, at some level, basically I think what needs to happen is that at least for a while, Neil Huntington made this bed. Now he's got to sleep in it. You know it's it's bad. It's it's bad that the offense is is this terrible and it doesn't reflect well on Huntington. But it doesn't follow from that that he should be going out and making all these crazy trades because it it reeks of desperation. And when you have a desperate situation, that's usually when dumb things happen that that can really poison the franchise for a long time. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. I don't. I mean, if I'm Neil Huntington, I'd be on the phone every damn day. And you don't want to make it. Of dumb course, trade. yeah. You don't want to make a trade out of desperation. I don't. You know, people are suggesting make a trade, but you know he's got to. He really has to try to do something to improve this club. Anything from Drew Sutton, the guy the Pirates acquired yesterday from the Braves, a minor league infielder. Is there anything to expect from him? No, I I don't think that the Pirates are really expecting anything from him. They sent him to to Indianapolis. He has not really played a whole lot at the major league level, and uh, you know I I think that. Adding someone like that is really just making a change for the sake of making a change. I mean, I guess you can, I guess you can make an argument for that, but I don't see much of a reason to expect him to be a whole lot better, or really any better than than what they've already had. Especially since, if you want to talk about what's been going on the last several games, and the one, the one guy, you know, or besides Andrew McCutcheon, the one guy who has looked decent in the past week or so has been Josh Harrison. So, you know, really, how can you, how can you find room for Drew Sutton and why should you why should you do that? I mean you, you don't you don't see him as a solution at the big league level, do you? No, and I, I think I would just throw in Rod Barajas has been a little better the past right. ten days with you know small favors here. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison's been good, might as well play the hot bat. Well you know, while he's got a hot bat, there, he was very hot at the beginning of spring training, then was uh, really uh, terrible his last twenty or so at bats and he didn't start the season very well but you know, I've criticized him, and I will continue to criticize him. The guy has three career walks. He is not an answer. He's a super utility guy, and if he's a guy who over the course, course of a season gets 200 at-bats and he's your fifth guy off the bench, that's perfectly fine. I, you know, he's not the answer either, unfortunately. I agree. The, the Pirates are dealt this hand right now. Uh, the, the thing I do when I got home today, I would have fired Greg Ritchie. That's it. I, you know, I, I realize players are responsible for their performances, but we give Ray, Sear- Ray Searage a ton of credit for the work he's done with the staff. It's time for Greg Ritchie to, you know, take the fall here, even if it's, you know, even if it's change for change's sake. 
Maybe they just need to hear a different voice. But, uh, you know, coming in, uh, I would have made that change today, and I'll kind of call for that until it happens. Uh, I know Clint Hurdle's a very loyal guy, loyal to the guys on his staff, so I don't necessarily think that this is going to happen, but I think it should happen. Uh, but other than that, I really am not – I'm in a little bit of a loss for things to do as well. I guess I would DFA Nate McLeod today, and I'd bring up either Matt Haig or Jake Fox, and I'd probably send Yamaiko Navarro down – uh, if only to get him regular bats. I mean, if it had been uh, 10 days ago, I would have done it with Josh Harrison. And maybe I bring up both Fox and Haig, uh, even though they're not performing. I realize they're not performing at AAA, but I would just kind of shake up the roster a little bit. They've done that with Presley. Uh, it now looks like, you know, rather than send Presley down, they should have probably, you know, gotten rid of McLeod. But uh, yeah, there are no great solutions, but I would just, I would shuffle things just to shuffle them. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have any objection to any of that. Of course, the fact that they didn't bring Jake Fox up for a DH series in Detroit and they said, instead brought in Gorky Fernandez to sit on the bench for three days really indicates that they have no interest in bringing up Jake Fox. Yeah, I guess that's, that's true. And I'll, I'll just throw another little uh, fun tidbit I, I saw earlier today on MLB depth charts. There has 65 major leaguers have made their major league de- debut uh, this year. The Pirates, of course, have won in Matt Haig, who's now back down in Indy. I had suggested to you at the beginning of the year the Pirates might not have a minor leaguer uh, make their major league debut all year until September when, you know, Gorkies or Matt Haig may do it. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing here with Gorkies uh, if he stays up for a longer term. Obviously, sometime during the Mets series, I expect he'll get a start, so he'll be that guy. But, uh, you know, that's the frustrating thing, and we we're talking to the, the kind of what I was getting to Eno about is it looks like they have some young players who may be pieces of the puzzle. It's just so damn frustrating to see the Pirates, uh, to see guys like Tabata and Walker and the guys who we thought maybe were pieces of the puzzle just continue not to produce. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you don't you don't think that, that somebody like Walker or, or Tabata is, is going to be uh, you know, a franchise player, that's not exactly what's expected of them, of them. But as the Pirates are trying to make this transition from being a 70-win team perennially to you know being a, a winning team or even beyond that they need to have players like that step up um and yeah it's been very very frustrating to not see those potential role players those potential good number six hitters or good number two hitters in your order uh make that step forward this year let's end things on a on a semi-positive note the pitching pitching continues to be really good what do you ex- we uh i posted on the on the game thread yesterday that uh, I guess Chris LaRue had a 31-pitch bullpen session. He's probably still a ways from being back, maybe a month or or even to the All-Star break. And Jeff Carson's is going to throw 45 pitches in three innings tonight in Altoona, and we'll, I'm sure we'll both be anxious to see how that goes. Uh, what do you do with the guys um, that you have in there now? And I guess specifically the question probably comes to Lincoln and Correa with Grilly on the bereavement list. Lincoln was used as a as a setup guy here this series when we when we got all the facts there seems to be nothing wrong with that and Correa certainly didn't do himself any disfavor disservice uh, he, he gave a, a quote unquote quality start yesterday how do you see that playing out how do I see what exactly playing out well what, you know what do you think you do with Lincoln and Correa when guys are healthy here does Carson's become your long guy uh, do do I, I mean, Correa seems to have the least value, but it doesn't mean he has no value. And I, I can't see the Pirates getting anything for Locke or Owens or Wilson at this point in time. So how do you, if your if your uh, rota- if your pitching staff is healthy, how do you see where would you slot guys? 
You know, it honestly, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a huge. Uh, and I'm saying things again that I think there are, you know, actually a pretty small actual percentage chance of. But it wouldn't be a huge shock to me if we did see somebody like uh, Locke or Owens or Lincoln get get traded because the Pirates do have considerable depth in that area, and if they can get somebody who you know is a hitter on a team who's who's blocked. You know, not not Clint Robinson, not a not a minor league veteran, but somebody who's not far in his career from being that, uh, who can potentially step into the Pirates lineup and hit. I think that we could see something like that in a a, a kind of minor deal in the next in the next. Uh, is is, is Ike Davis that guy? We just had the conversation. I mean, it, does Jeff Locke for Ike Davis get anything done for the Pirates? Or that, that's not nearly enough. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if that gets anything done for the Mets, despite despite Davis's struggles. But but somebody like that. I mean, somebody who's probably not slotted. And I haven't I haven't looked into who that might be yet. But somebody who's not slotted slotted into a, a starting role in a on a major league team right now, but who could potentially step into a big league role very soon and and be a potential role player i don't know that something like that wouldn't shock me and it's it's hard to evaluate i mean carson's is probably still a ways from coming back and you never want to speculate on potential roster moves a month from now or two months from now because you just have no idea what's what's going to be happening at that point but yeah i mean if if the pirates get continued health i i think correa will probably be cut at some point but I, that's so far down the road right now, just in terms of the number of roster moves that have been made recently, that it's really hard to speculate on. Okay, so and now I'm reading the Pirates have traded Drew Sutton that acquired yesterday to Tampa Bay for cash considerations or a player to be named. Okay, so it was a completely an irrelevant move. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, come on, seriously? Okay, well that's interesting. I'll post something about that, but that's, uh, I mean, that's almost comical. I mean, it's, you know, you just wonder what was going on there. Maybe, maybe Tampa didn't know he was available and, and they've offered, uh, you know, an extra bag of balls. I, you know, uh, that's crazy stuff. The, the uh, pirates, the pirates got him for cash and now they're trading him the next day for cash or, or a player to be named. It's right, maybe they just turned that around, got 10, 10 grand extra on the deal or something. I'm not really sure. That's really yeah, strange. Maybe trading stocks here. We're trading yeah. stocks. Uh, last question. I know you. I know your answer to this because our answer to this is always going to be the same. Uh, I think Jason Grilly probably has some value out there. I would trade him. I, obviously, you would do it too if it makes sense. But uh, Juan Cruz and Jason Grilly, these guys in the bullpen have been good. It looks like Lincoln uh, could could fill that role immediately if need be. Is he the guy who maybe if you traded somebody who is a real chip today, other than Joel Hanrahan, can he get you something back because you're going to get him for for five months as opposed to two or three months? You know, I, I don't know. This is something that I, I will probably investigate a little bit more as we get closer to the trading deadline. But I wonder, the thing that strikes me immediately is to wonder how the kind of imbalance between offense and pitching that's going on in the league right now, you know, how many teams think that they already have their Jason Grilly and, you know, won't be, you know, making crazy trades for, for somebody, especially who's not a closer, but a setup reliever. To get a guy like that when you know you already perceive that your bullpen is already going pretty well, right? Uh, and I think probably a lot of teams, if you ask them, they'd say, "Yeah, we have a pretty good bullpen right now." They probably right. would not say, "Yeah, we have a pretty good lineup." So I, I don't know. I, does does really bring back a lot in a trade despite his having performed extremely well this year? I, I'm not sure yet. That's something I'd like to look into more. Okay, good answer. And we'll come back at people next week. As always, thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. <laughs>